Good morning, everybody. Sometimes I think it's funny the things that can happen to you when you prepare to do a message or public speak or preach a sermon. Sometimes you think about, uh, what's the best way to open something up? How do, I, uh, how do I make a connection right out of the gate? And then I looked no further than my children for this illustration. <laughs> I was washing dishes while uh, my daughter Phoebe was eating her sandwich at her high chair. And while I was washing the dishes, I started to hum uh, a line to a hymn that some of you may know. Uh, happy day, happy day, Jesus washed my sins away. I was washing dishes, it just came to my mind. And Phoebe, my three-year-old daughter, sitting there in her high chair, decides in that moment to really put me on the spot. You know that feeling you get when you're about maybe to take a test or do something stressful and you, your heart pounds and you're like, oh, I hope I can do this. Well, Phoebe in that moment decided to say, Daddy, what are sins? Are they in the sink? I just responded, no, don't be silly. Sins are like something in our heart that can make Jesus very sad. And I immediately thought, oh, did I give a good, a good answer? Did I, did I construct that well? Uh, is this going to impact my daughter for years to come, this, this, this question she asked and how I decided to respond? And she sat there, and I thought, okay, we're moving on. I'm going to go back to dishes. And she said, Daddy, do I have sins in my heart? Oh, boy. I had to stop doing the dishes for that one. And I had to tell her, Phoebe, we all do things that make Jesus sad, but the good news is he forgives us. And well, I get choked up thinking about it. But it comes a moment where my one-year-old son, who is just now enjoying his new power of walking, he comes over and he grabs her sandwich. And he starts waddling away with it. And she immediately cuts off the, the deep theological conversation we're having. She's like, Daddy, Corbin took my sandwich. Make him give it back. I don't think I need to say much more there. Uh, what, a, what a lesson in, in forgiveness just from top down. I think it's also a great, a great opportunity to replug here uh, the series we're going through starting next week about healthy relationships with each other. Forgiveness is such a great topic to bridge that. Uh, we'll be going over 1 Corinthians uh, it'll be a wonderful time where we can really unpack these relational dynamics and learn to forgive amongst so many other biblical principles. We have a parable this morning. It's the last one we're going through before we go into this new series next week. A number of you came up to me before the service and you told me, man, this parable has really spoken to me in the past. I think this parable has something special about it. It's in many ways, easy to directly translate into our own spiritual life. The concept of forgiving of a debt is so easily translatable to how our sins are forgiven, and we're going to unpack that a bit more. Let's read this. Now, what I want to do for our scripture reading this morning, it's a little uh, tradition I grew up with. Um, we can be motivated by a few things when we seek to obey God's commands, right? Well, God makes it very clear He wants us to forgive like we've been forgiven. So let's tap into some motivation there, and I want that motivation to be gratitude for what God has done for us. When we forgive somebody, we do it out of gratitude for what God has done for us. So let's tap into that, that feeling of gratitude. When I read this, uh, some of you might be familiar with this tradition, 
I'm going to conclude by saying, this is the word of the Lord. And all of us together say, with, with, with gusto, thanks be to God. We want to express that gratitude for His word. I'm going to read just a couple of verses to give you a, a practice run at it, and then I'll read our passage, okay? We want to make people out in the hall think, wow, they're really grateful in there, all right? This is from Matthew 18. I'll read a couple of verses, and then we'll go into our main body of text. Matthew 18, 21 and 22. Then Peter approached him and asked, Lord, how many times must I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? As many as seven times? I tell you, not as many as seven, Jesus replied, but 70 times seven. This is the word of the Lord. Wonderful. You'll get one more take at that. For those of you who want to follow along with our main body of text, we're on page 873 in our, in our Bibles in the chairs. Uh, Matthew 18, 23 and onward. It'll be on the screen as well. For this reason, the kingdom of heaven could be compared to a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle accounts, one who owed 10,000 talents was brought before him. Since he did not have the money to pay it back, his master commanded that he, his wife, his children, and everything he had be sold to pay the debt. At this, the servant fell face down before him and said, be patient with me, and I will pay you everything. Then the master of that servant had compassion, released him, and forgave him the loan. That servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. He grabbed him, started choking him, and said, pay what you owe. At this, his fellow servant fell down and began begging him, be patient with me, and I will pay you back but he wasn't willing. Instead, he went and threw him into prison until he could pay back what was owed. When the other servants saw what had taken place, they were deeply distressed and went and reported to their master everything that had happened. Then, after he had summoned him, his master said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Shouldn't you also have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And because he was angry, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he could pay everything that was owed. So also my heavenly Father will do to you unless every one of you forgives his brother or sister from your heart. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Lord, we ask that you stir up some conviction to forgive in here, but, can, but forgiveness out of such immense gratitude for how we've been forgiven. Bring that to our realization, Lord, how much we've been forgiven. As we review this word and we let it sink into our hearts, help us to keep our minds praying and our hearts thinking. In your name we pray, Lord. Amen. There are a few things to take away from this parable. I'd like to outline a few of them. This parable reveals the magnitude of forgiveness. Have you ever thought about trying to define forgiveness? Not so much in what forgiveness means, but in how big it is. Is that even fathomable? Have you thought about how big something like forgiveness as a concept can be? Well, this parable will reveal that to us. This parable also exposes the absolute hubris that is unforgiveness. It is vain to choose not to do this. Third, it illustrates what the consequences are for unforgiveness. It makes these things very clear. 
And then lastly, it displays God's merciful character as previously revealed in the Old Testament. This is not new how this master is depicted, and we're going to talk about that too. First, the magnitude. How big is forgiveness? We, uh, we read in this text, and I've highlighted it in yellow here, that the, the servant owed the master 10,000 talents, okay? Not a unit of currency we go over, we use today. But let me help you put that in perspective by, by first asking a question. Why is it that Christ said 10,000 talents, which is a, a huge amount of money, but he did not say simply an unpayable amount? Wouldn't the point have come across just fine if Christ had said, so a servant owed his master an unpayable amount? No, there's a, an amount given. To me, that strikes a chord. Isn't that a theological problem? Sure, it's a big amount, but technically, if you put a number on it, hypothetically, you can pay it off, given enough time, right? Well, how big is this amount? Scholars go back and forth on this based on uh, the, the economy of the day. We've gotten pretty close to ex what it would look like. To summarize it all, 10,000 talents equates to about 250,000 years of a commoner's wages back in the day, okay? So pretty much like saying a gazillion dollars, right? More than that, the number 10,000 is the largest number that the language of that time could comprehend in a single word. And a talent is the largest unit of currency. So we have a lot of emphasis on big, okay? We have $250,000 or so, give or take, right? Uh, of a commoner's wages, uh, uh, that many years, 250,000 years of a commoner's wages. And Christ uses this as the example. Don't mishear me. It's like saying a gazillion dollars, for sure. But it's interesting. How much money could this commoner have actually gotten to pay back? Well, if you take all of the money that existed in that time, that was in circulation in that country, including all of the payments of tribute from surrounding nations, and you put it all in a pile, scholars think it might come out to something like 600 talents. I think Christ is making a small point here. Not only can this single man not pay back this enormous debt, but all of the money available to the whole region couldn't. No one person can pay back this kind of debt, and not all of humanity can pitch in to help. There is no helping from the kingdoms of the world on this debt. There's simply no paying it back, no matter who you turn to. That brings us to the hubris of unforgiveness. If I were to try to bridge these two points, it would be something like, no amount of offense that one person can give another person can ever amount to the offense that all of humanity has done to the moral sensibility of God. It's completely off. The debt matches the crime. So when we choose not to forgive, we're ignoring the crime. When we choose not to forgive, we're being vain and prideful. Notice here that we're talking about servants of the master, right? Remember that. We're going to bring that back up again here soon. But here we have the servant going out of there, having his debt completely forgiven, and he confronts another fellow servant of the same master, 
And he says, hey, you owe me 100 denarii. Well, what's the comparison between 10,000 talents and 100 denarii, right? Well, 100 denarii is about three months or so of a commoner's wages. One denarii is about a day, uh, a day wage. So there's really no comparing these amounts. And he approached this fellow servant, and he started choking him, saying, give me back my money. This is my money. There's a lot of things being revealed here. Not only does this servant not realize what had been done for him and choose not to pay it forward, but look at the value he does not place on a fellow worker. He sees the other workers as something different than what the master sees them as. He sees them as a means to his own end. When we fail to forgive other people, we're basically trying to take over God's position. We're trying to say, I'm the master now, and these servants, they belong to me. Unforgiveness has a strange way of making you the center of your own world. If you have a master that says, forgive, and you choose not to, what does that say about your reason, your dynamic with your master, right? Are you really a servant? It's pretty sobering to add this on too. The amount here that he would have been paid by his fellow servant was only about, it was about a fifth of what he himself would have fetched on the slave market at that time. But the master saw him much more valuable than that. I'd like to point out one other thing here on this point before we move on. In the ancient world, if you had somebody who owed you a debt and you went to cash in on that debt, it was well within your right to do that. And if they couldn't pay that debt, it was well within your right to handle that, either by slavery or imprisonment or passing it on to uh, another member of that person's family. It was well within your rights to seek repayment using some of those methods, okay? So what's happening here? This servant who's saying, well, I'm going to have you imprisoned until you can pay this debt, in some ways would have looked like the law of that time. This makes me ask a question. Is that servant's rights more important than the needs of, that pers- of, the, of the servant? Let me put it this way. Does the master not see the needs of his servants as more important than the rights of his servants or the rights of himself. When Christ stepped on the cross, was it not his right to come down? He was innocent after all. Who could have blamed him for coming down? But what did he choose to do instead? He stayed. In that moment, Christ said, the needs of my servants are more valuable than my rights. Does this mean rights are bad? No. It means we have everything in its proper order, though. The needs of this person are more valuable than my rights, okay? I think this speaks heavily sometimes to our culture, and I think it's worth sitting back sometimes and thinking, in what ways am I insisting too heavily on my rights at the detriment of others? It's worth reflection. Finally, well, not finally, almost finally, this parable illustrates the consequences of unforgiveness. I've tagged it here in yellow. Shouldn't you also have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? The master gets right to the point. The servant may have had a right to pull in his debt, but that's not how he was handled. The master forgave him, so the expectation then is that he forgive others. 
okay? When we choose not to forgive, we're actually actively choosing to not be forgiven. There are plenty of Scripture references to this to back this up. Luke 6.36, be merciful just as I, God, am merciful. Or the opposite, James 2.13, there will be no mercy for those who show no mercy. Scripture is pretty clear that if we're servants of this one master, then we're to imitate that master. We're to try to be like him. If he shows compassion, then we should seek to show compassion. Thankfully, we don't have a master that looks at our good works, though, as a means to earn his grace, right? When we do good works, when we show compassion to others, it's not to show our master uh, that we're worthy of his compassion. No, compassion came first, and then we respond to that compassion second. So when we exercise that compassion, we're actually doing it out of knowledge of who God is, not out of a way to try to get to know God. Now, there are two things to point out here that I think are very important to unpack, okay? Some of you may be sitting there thinking, we get the point. Forgiveness is very important. God forgave us, and we need to forgive in turn, infinitely and unlimited. But aren't there some situations where forgiveness doesn't seem to fit? Aren't there situations where forgiveness might diminish the severity of a situation? Let me explain. I think there are two things forgiveness is not, and sometimes we think forgiveness can be these things. Forgiveness is not an excuse to let sin have its way, okay? Forgiveness is also not a burden that keeps you in sin's path of destruction. Unlimited forgiveness is not to be confused with some sentimental toleration of hurtful, hurtful behavior. The misbehavior of alcoholics is not to be laughed away. Ministers who fail to control their impulses can't be lightly excused. Abusive behaviors can't be marked as ignored. Situations like these, rather than letting a sin prosper or enabling that sin through your forgiveness, this parable is trying to tell us something else, okay? This parable is trying to say we need to pray for the strength to resist the temptation to get even with those people, those people who have hurt us. We must pray to resist the temptation to resist getting even. Also, we want to pray for grace to reflect the generosity of the kingdom of heaven. So when we seek to forgive all and, and unlimited, we're not ever seeking to get even. Vengeance is the Lord's. And we're praying to have a type of compassion that the Lord displayed to us. This often can mean addressing the sin. Forgiveness does not turn a blind eye. Finally here, this parable would not have been lost on its audience. It displays God's character, and I think the Old Testament already does a good job of that. And in many ways, I think the New Testament's a commentary on the Old. In the Old Testament, we have the Exodus, right? Now, did the Israelites have to practice the law in order for the Exodus to happen? No. The Exodus actually happened first, and then the law came later, right? God actually showed us what it's like, and then he handed it to us to do. 
Deliverance first, law second. Let me uh, show you this passage. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I know their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land into a good and spacious land. Do you see the, the verbs in yellow here? God saw, he heard, he knows. He came to rescue and bring up. The Israelites had practiced no law up to this point. It goes on. Later on, when the law is given, we get laws like these. If you mistreat them, that is, the widow, the orphan, or in general, the vulnerable, they will no, out, they will no doubt cry out to me, God. And I will certainly hear their cry. Do you see the, the verbs here too? My anger will burn, and I will kill you with the sword. And later on, he says, if he cries out to me, people in debt, I will listen because I am compassionate. Notice the parallel. On one side, we have a merciful nature of God coming from his compassionate character. I have seen, I have heard, I know their suffering, I've come to rescue. And then we get a sense of justice also, still within that compassionate nature. I will certainly hear, my anger will be aroused, I will kill you with the sword. Aren't there striking parallels with our parable today? The servant pleaded, I can't pay, or I will try to pay off this debt. The Lord heard, he rescued, he saved, he forgave. But then the other servant, or the servant goes on to a, another servant and demands payment. Now we tap into God's sense of justice. God's character is in full display here. Notice the parallel. At this, the servant fell face down before him and said, be patient with me and I will pay you everything. The master of that servant had compassion, released him and forgave him the loan. Shouldn't you also have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? Paralleled with only a couple verses back here in Exodus. If he cries out to me, I will listen because I am compassionate. We're talking about the same God referencing the same kingdom. So I say, let's be in the habit of forgiving people, just as we've been forgiven, and let our motivation for that forgiveness come out of gratitude for what God's done for us. If we can really tap into that motivation of gratitude, then forgiveness becomes a part of our identity. I don't want to gloss over the fact that the dispute between servants in this parable was between two fellow servants of the same master. That makes me want to ask here, what do we think about each other in this very room? If these two servants under the same master had this confrontation, is it too far-fetched to examine our relationships with our own church family? Don't we all seek to be servants of the same master here? You might be sitting there saying, Maybe I don't quite understand this forgiveness. Maybe this magnitude is a bit lost on me. Do you realize what is available to you? Forgiveness beyond our wildest imagination is available to you this morning by a God who stepped on the cross and chose not to come down because he saw your need. And the 10,000 talents, so to speak, that you would have never been able to pay is completely released. Do you realize that this morning? Those of you who have been forgiven, 
Let's seek a regrounding in that affirmation and in that gratitude. Those of you who maybe haven't asked for that forgiveness, I can't let this go by without telling you how readily available it is for you to. That not only can you forgive others like this, but you can do it out of such gratitude, having been forgiven like that yourself. So let's be in the habit of forgiving others as we've been forgiven too. Let's pray. Lord, we ask that you instill in our hearts such a vivid understanding of what you've done for us, the magnitude and the depths of the forgiveness you've shown us. It seems almost incalculable without your help. And Lord, let us practice that forgiveness for others based solely on what we know of you and out of complete and utter joy and gratitude of how you've done that for us. Stir, our heart, stir in our hearts a conviction to pursue those out of forgiveness. It's in your holy and precious name we pray, Lord. Amen.